Hello, my name is Ron Bowen, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and I speak with inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I'd like to start by honouring the traditional owners of the unceded land on which this episode was recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Joe and I pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. In this episode, we're speaking with Laura Wilson-McGinn and Ian McGinn. They both teach together through Move Like You Yoga, and they have a special interest in working with police, army and first responders, particularly those experiencing severe PTSD. They deliver classes specifically for the Code 9 Foundation, a foundation established to support emergency service workers with PTSD, as well as sessions that everyone can attend. Laura is of Aboriginal, English and Scottish descent. She's an Aboriginal woman whose bloodline comes from Yass, New South Wales, and she was born and raised here in Melbourne. She's worked extensively across the government, community, legal and university sectors as a policy writer, researcher, sessional academic, lecturer and advocate, and as a lawyer in the Victorian Supreme Court. Ian is a detective senior constable with Victoria Police, and he has a PhD in Australian Indigenous Studies from Monash University. He also works as a sessional academic at Swinburne University, teaching and lecturing in criminology and police studies. They both have a passion for movement, with Laura coming from an extensive dance background, including ballet, calisthenics, pole dance and aerial arts, while Ian has a passion and love for jiu-jitsu, yoga, fishing and bushwalking. In this conversation, we discuss how all of these interests and life experiences weave together to inform the way they teach and live their yoga. Please be advised, we do cover some sensitive topics, including the death of a parent and the mental health challenges connected with working in emergency services and adversarial justice, including PTSD. I personally think this is a really interesting and important conversation, so let's meet Laura and Ian. All right, guys, thank you so much for meeting with us today, coming over and, and speaking with us. It's so great to have you here in, in person. So perhaps you could start by just telling us a little bit about your backgrounds and how you found your way to yoga. Absolutely. Well, first of all, hello. It's so nice to meet you all and, and hello to you listeners as well. Well, my name is Laura Wilson McGinn and I'm here with my husband, Ian McGinn. And that is me. That is, that is Ian. <laughs> and yes, we are one of those weird and wacky husband and wife combo couples that do all the weird and wacky stuff together. Another one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. I like to think power couple, but yeah. that's uh, probably yeah. a bit excessive. No, no, yeah. so yeah. not that. Um, but yeah, background, E, do you want to go first? Yeah, I suppose probably what led us here today is, yeah, I'm a police officer currently serving done about five years in uniform policing, which I'm sure we can talk about a little bit more later, and then about five years as a detective. When I started, yeah, yoga was never, never ever on the spectrum. It was so beyond not even in the realms of Ian's spectrum, like, and we will definitely get to that, but it's an understatement of the century. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was always footy, weights, cricket, all the kind of I suppose, dude things. And then maybe you can talk a little bit about how you got me to my first yoga class, oh, yeah. which is probably a good, That's good way a to start. That's a deep story. Well, I guess 
By way of background, for listeners who don't know me, so I'm Laura Wilson-McGinn. I'm an Aboriginal woman. My dad is a Wiradjuri man. Dad passed last year, which I'm sure will come up in conversation, but I'm also of English and Scottish descent as well. And basically, my I guess my background and experiences, I grew up doing a lot of dancing and I was sort of training to be a professional dancer. I did like everything, calisthenics and ballet and jazz and tap, like you name it, I did it. And then it got to a point in my life where for, for various reasons, it was just not, wasn't healthy anymore is probably a good way to answer that question about why things changed, but it wasn't healthy anymore. And I decided I needed to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I think how that translated was taking the Taipei discipline of being a dancer and that translated into, oh yeah, of course, I'm going to now go and do something equally Taipei and insane. And I ended up doing years and years of study and I became a lawyer. So I am admitted to practice as a lawyer in the Victorian Supreme Court. So my professional background is as a lawyer, an advocate and policy writer as well. But in my kind of more recent life, also a yoga teacher and having launched Move Like You Yoga. And I guess by way of background is how Ian and I met. Ian was doing his PhD in Australian Indigenous Studies at Monash. Ian is not Aboriginal himself, but he was studying that, Indigenous Studies, and I was one of the Aboriginal students. And I was at that time studying my Master's by Research in Criminology. And Ian and I met at uni. In the library. It was so romantic. (laughs) Total nerd out. And we shared an office space together and basically we, yeah, the, uh, the magic arose. The journey of love. The journey of love. (laughs) So much of the love. Yeah. And Ian basically at that time was from my memory halfway through his PhD. I had come from, I actually had started doing my PhD in criminology and I decided, nah, this is just not, it's not the right time. I don't want to do this. I dropped it down to a master's by research. And then we met, we got together, started our kind of like life love journey and all the ups and downs. But then from there, pretty much basically from there, Ian started working at Victoria Police as a- as a public servant. Public servant, so not as a police officer. Um, But by way of kind of context and background, Ian's from a long line of police. His dad was a copper, his granddad was a copper, and his great-granddad was a copper. Which sounds weird and it sounds like some episode of Blue Bloods, like that show (laughs) where they're all cops and they sit around in their tunics talking about policing, but- and when That's you when not, you were a kid, were yeah. you always, I'm never going to become a cop? Yeah, a fair bit. <laughs> it was a bit of a mixture. Like I'd go through phases and I'd always be like, nah, I'm not doing it, rebel against dad, mm. do the teenage thing. Mm. But then it was also that kind of burning thing where you're like, oh, it could be pretty interesting. You hear all those stories at home and you're like, you know, the cool action stories that, you know, kids kind of like, not the reality of what it's like most of the time, most shift, which is generally not pleasant sometimes. But yeah, it was a real mixture, but I'd always had that kind of interest, thought I would never do it. And then when I went and became a public servant with them, it rekindled the interest and I was like, all right, I'm going to give this a go. Like, I'll, yeah, I'll give it a try. 
see how it goes. Um, despite what a lot of people think, my old man was like, do not do this. Yeah. And now and having also, done it for 10 years, he's probably right, probably shouldn't have. And but, to um, be fair yeah. and fair to say, hashtag hilarious thing about Ian, he's actually really anti-authoritarian. <laughs> yeah, so- which is a weird thing because I was thinking about this on the way in. It's, it's a weird one because, yeah, a lot of police kind of are, which sounds strange for people who go to do a job that's authoritarian in some ways, but yeah. You go to do the job where you are the authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit weird, but I think sometimes maybe it's good if you are a little bit that way so you, you can sort of critically think about things. And and then, I don't know, you see things and you become a bit libertarian as well because you're kind of like, well, you can tell people what to do, but people don't want to do it. That's cool. And if they're not hurting anyone, mm. no issue. Like, yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's a weird, weird job. A lot of weird people in it, but yeah. And I think it's probably fair to say at the point when we'd gotten together and Ian had expressed to me that he wanted to join the job, I can kind of clearly say that I had like major reservations, like in a number of ways, you know, for my reflections of it was I didn't grow up in a family full of, you know, of police, definitely not. And, you know, obviously coming from coming from an Aboriginal background as well and, you know, coming from a – I studied criminology, very far left criminology as well. So it's probably fair to say I had kind of my own strong views about certain things. But, you know, I was also like, oh, look, you know, I get it. You want, you've got something that you've got to do in your life and you want to do the thing. So I was like, yeah, all right, let's go on this journey. (laughs) And what a journey it has been. Mm. But at the same time, you know, I thought, okay, Ian's always been very supportive of what I wanted to do in my life and my career. And, And strangely, it kind of worked really interestingly well in all the highs and lows and and at times very challenging for us professionally because, yeah. and this is also something that for us is, and this will probably come out throughout the podcast, but for us professionally, him working as a copper and me working, particularly when I went into lawyering, going on to the other side, that was also highly challenging, very stressful, mostly for me, I would say. And this will probably come back into play when we start talking later down the track about hypervigilance with certain things that have happened yeah, in our and lives. Yeah, the adversarial system. Yeah, too. and working in adversarial system. But basically- to bring it back to the yoga part, oh, yeah, we, you know, we diverted a little bit. We diverted yeah. a fair bit, but I it was probably more natural for me because of having a very strong dance background. What actually led me to yoga proper was when I was in my early twenties. I did a couple of yoga classes and was like, yeah. And at that time, it's fair to say I was living quite in a. Uh, Oh, put it on. Oh, no, it's all yoga people. I was living the I was living the party life. I was doing my teen years. I was getting all the things out of my system and all the jazz. And so I was like, yeah. And but sort of dabbled with it and nothing serious. And, you know, I was kind of off, you know, I don't know, partying and doing whatever else I was doing, probably losing brain cells and all this stuff. And it wasn't until I started lawyering and I was, I remember going to this osteo bless him, who ended up treating both of us. Oh, yeah. And he was like, basically in a nutshell, man, you got to like do something. Like your body is really like you are so stressed. What the hell is going on? You need to do something. And at that stage in our life, it was fair to say, you know, we were living a very intense lifestyle. I was working as a lawyer. He was working as a general duties copper. The shift working was insane. The stress was through the roof. We were, we've always been very active, but 
not able to really have any downtime. And this osteo was like, Laura, like, I think you need to go and start doing some yoga and figuring out some ways to deal with your stress. And I was having, you know, stomach upsets and all this stuff was going on. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, when do I have time? And a plethora of other commentary. And yeah, I started going to yoga classes. I actually started going to Good Vibes Yoga down in Northcote because we were living in Northcote at the time. And I was kind of squeezing in, you know, running to classes before work, running to classes after work, like all of this stuff, like leading this intense, everything was intense, intense vinyasa, intense working, everything. But also was like, oh yeah, my body's remembering, man, like you can move and all this cool stuff, which was allowing me to express a lot of things. And also at the time with the different work I was doing, it was really loaded emotionally, like damaging, draining stuff. And I didn't have anywhere to put that. So I was able to start moving some of that out. And then Ian was mm. having at the time, if you don't mind me commenting, was it. doing a lot of night shifts where it's yeah. fair to say Ian's coping strategy was coming home with a slab of VB at the end of night shift. And he would sit down with that slab and he would just crack it open, glug, 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 crack it open, glug, 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 crack it open, glug, 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 glug. And that wasn't sustainable for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And just, I suppose, speaking to that too, it is it is something that's kind of inherent in that culture. Is It is a bit of a, or not a bit of a, and it is a uh, drinking culture, like a lot of things probably in Australia and, and whatnot. It's, it's certainly part of it. And it's part of that culture in terms of a coping mechanism, I think. Yes, it brings people together, but if you weigh up the goods and the negatives, probably it's far more negative. But at that time, yeah, it was something that was just part of something that you did. You do night shift. So you do say, I think it's seven nights from 11 till 7, 11 at night until 7 the next morning. It's always the craziest time to work as well. Like things happen overnight when people have been drinking and taking drugs or having mental health issues, all these sorts of things. So it's a really intense way to work. Your circadian rhythm obviously gets all out of function. Bad food's part of the culture too. But I suppose people who are listening that have done it will know that night shift drinks or EOs, it's called, it's called early openers, is is part of what you do on the last day of the night shift. So you finish and you're meant to have a rest day. But what's been part of the culture, I think, for decades has been that you go out drinking, which is yeah, it's it's not. Yes, it can be fun, but I think if you weigh it all up, it's probably a bit of a negative. And that's something that I I was doing. I was doing it pretty regularly because I was doing a lot of night shifts. So once a month, I'd do a full week of night shift, and it was just something I did. And I remember this one day, mm-hmm. literally, I think the day before I did my first ever yoga class. Mm-hmm. Laura had been doing yoga. And can I just say, I'll just jump in and be like, you know, with the shift working and stuff, it's a choice, right? But man, does that place strain on your relationship? Oh, it's hard. Like we yeah. were never seeing each other. I'd be running out to work. He'd be like, I'd just see him for a minute. He'd come in and Ian was like micro-sleeping in the car, coming mm. home and mm. all this crazy shit. So yeah. crazy stuff. Sorry, listeners. No, um, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, and, you know, but I was also like, I'm getting my, I'm, I'm trying to get my chakras and all this stuff and trying to mm. reconcile all this. And Ian was kind of just like, oh, foo-foo, whatever. Well, I remember you were going to Good Vibes yeah. Northcote like quite a bit and mm. you'd be like, come in, come in. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm a dude. Dudes don't do yoga, mm-hmm. which, you know, now I'm a yoga teacher. Who would have yeah, thought? <laughs> but um, And I'd drop you off and then walk along yeah. Mary Creek and all of that sort of stuff. And 
yeah, I was like, no, I do weights and, and all of that kind of stuff. I, but I then there was this night. And I still to this day don't, oh, sorry, Bob, do you want to like tell the story? I'll tell the story. Okay, you I'll go. tell the story. You tell the story. Yeah, sorry. T- I will just say that when I saw Ian, Ian was a shade of green that I've never seen before. Mm. Yes. Mm. Anyway, so it was a, <laughs> another night shift, the usual practice, went out drinking with the people that I'd been doing night shift with, got home, drank some more, woke up the next day feeling horrendous and I don't know, some yogic epiphany maybe happened and, and I was like, hey, Laura. And she's like, what, dude? Laura like, was grumpy with yeah. Ian. Like, mm. yeah, hey, dude. <laughs> like, what do you want? You, you drunk and fool. I think um, actually I was heading off to go to yoga class. I do remember that. And he was this shade of green and was all like, you know, when they're feeling sorry for themselves and you're just like, you brought this on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you can deal with it yourself. It was a bit like that. And then mm. from my memory, I was like, actually, I remember it well. I'm No, Ian, I'm going to tell it from my perspective here. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I yeah. was going down High Street. I get this phone call and I'm thinking, ugh, the sympathy phone call, whatever. You can like, you know. I'm ma- not bringing you back a bacon and egg roll. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You actually, can, that was the you order. You can marrow in it. You can marrow. And mm-hmm. I actually remember it well. You came down on the tram with me. Yes. Ian came down on the tram and I'm like, he's going to hurl. He is going yeah. to hurl. And I thought, I'm getting off. I am better than this. I am going to my class and maybe was feeling a bit like, you know, whatever. And then later you'd called and you were like, hey, oh, hey, Bob. And I'm like, yeah, what? And he's all <laughs> like, Bob, I think I've had a bit of an epiphany. I think I need to stop drinking. And I'm like, oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah, very good voices. Very, <laughs> very on point. But yeah, and I was like, all right, I'm... Um, this is not working, like this kind of lifestyle or, you know, the, what you're doing as part of it, the drinking and not looking after yourself necessarily. I was like, no, nah, I've got to try to add something in to kind of move away from that. And Laura had been pestering me about yoga and I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. And I thought, no, nah, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to come and do one class, see if I like it or not. Really didn't, like was kind of resistant in my own mind, didn't think I would. And I remember my first class, mm. it was a What's the the mellow? Is it mm, keep not, it mellow? Keep it mellow. Yeah, it was a class, um, and also like a slow flow kind of thing. And also to kind of add to it, which I'm sure we'll talk about later when you get to the next que- questions about hypervigilance. But when Ian said he wanted to, Ian was also at this stage where it's fair to say was severely hypervigilant at that point, severely. And I was like, oh, we've got to choose this class well. And I yeah. remember saying to the teacher who I'd developed these great relationships with and I, I knew which teacher I thought would work, it was going to work. And I, after class one day, explained and they'd heard a little bit about us anyway. And I was like, look, he wants to come and do a class, but is it cool to kind of don't touch him? <laughs> we've got to go in the back row. I know this sounds crazy, but we've got some big problems mm. that we're kind of dealing with that touching is not going to be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to that first class. He did. With Lucienne. Yeah. I think I can happily say that. Lucienne mm. Shanti. Mm. Yes. Great teacher. And at the end of it, I was like, wow, that was that was amazing. I remember doing things like lizard lunge and wanting to cry because it freaking hurt so bad. And I'm like, my God, my body's a mess as well. Because obviously doing this job, you're sitting in cars a lot sit in cars, then you go back and you sit at a desk and it's like that seat lifestyle, which just wrecks your body. I was having knee pain, back pain, all the things. Um, And I did that class and then I went back the next day without you actually. Mm. And I remember Lucien being like, oh my God, you're back. I Mm. can't believe it. Mm. And then pretty much haven't stopped since. So 
yeah, really awesome experience. And I think, yeah, was glad that I landed there first because, yeah, good studio and some good teachers there that kind of were very open to me being there and being like, don't touch me, don't come near me, all of that sort of stuff. Don't stand over me in dark rooms and all mm. of this kind of thing. And they were really good about it. So, yeah, it was amazing. And really, yeah. I feel like modern day yoga best practice, you shouldn't even have to upfront ask someone to not touch you in class. Like that should be yeah. a consent, like an informed, yeah. enthusiastic consent yeah. thing and like standing over someone in a yeah. dark space. Even if someone doesn't have a hypervigilance history, that's kind of menacing yeah. for lots of Absolutely. people. So it's kind of interesting that the stuff that you've flagged right at the beginning because mm. of your own personal mm. things that you've been working with mm. are now coming more and more into yoga teaching is just best practice for everyone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you're seeing, I suppose, that development of like uh, trauma-informed yoga and, mm -hmm. and those things are starting mm -hmm. to become more normal because I think there are some yoga teachers that might be resistant to that like I have to give an adjustment and yeah totally they can dictate a little bit like you will do this you will do that I will come and move you and then you can get a yeah really bad reaction from someone who's well they were just not... trained that that was good yoga teaching and yeah, so that's what yeah, they've done for yeah. 20 years since they did the training and it's a shame because then someone who would benefit from it might not show up again like it's a yeah they might be more traumatized oh, absolutely mm, yeah absolutely mm. you're just like yeah so yeah they were great and I'm yeah glad I took that jump and went and did it. So it was awesome. I've got a little bit of an off script question for you, yeah, Laura. So it. coming mm -hmm. from dance mm. and I sense a bit of a perfectionist oh. streak. Like, <laughs> did you have to <laughs> Listeners, like... that was an eye roll, yes. <laughs> did you have to like really work with yourself to shift that in your yoga practice and to not drive yourself that hard in your yoga? Or is that something that just happened over time as the practice kind of worked through you? Yeah, it's. I think this question is a really good one because it also comes into talking about doing yoga teacher training. It's fair to say that yoga teacher training for Ian and I blew our effing minds because it, it forced us to have to pretty much rethink and unlearn everything we'd ever been taught. You know, from my perspective, at least growing up and very incredibly fortunate, the experiences I had as a child dancing and stuff like this, in many ways, um, very, very fortunate, definitely made me who I am. It's fair to say that <laughs> dancing as a child in the 90s was probably a weird, weird, wild time that you would not be allowed to do a lot of that stuff now. So I will put it that way, but and definitely made me who I am. It definitely led to the way I approach law school and lawyering and everything having to be exact and precise always. So yoga is this amazing opportunity for mistakes to happen and it be okay. Like, you know, you're not in my experience as a child, you're not on stage having what felt like the weight of the world on me, having people watching. I'm not lawyering, having to be on point all the time and not making mistakes. I'm not, you know, having to be desperately trying to concentrate and, you know, be doing work where you can't make mistakes. So yeah, it's been like, and I think Ian and I talk about this a lot because Ian is very similar, doesn't have that same background in terms of dancing and stuff like that. But, you know, the way we've always been trained about having to be precise and on point and everything being right all the time, because unfortunately, particularly with our professional careers, the ramifications of getting something wrong are dire. You know, even 
say in my context, it could be like you stuff something up with a client and then the ramifications are on them and your duty is always the client and the court. Or in Ian's case, that could be a very, very, very horribly, you know, fatal type of a, a scenario. So yeah, so yoga, yeah, it's like, it is just this liberating feeling when you go, I am one of those people where it is nice when someone's te- like teaching me and I'm their student and they say something along the lines of, you know, just, you know, you know, those expressions sometimes that yoga teachers use and it's kind of like, just do the, like, just do the thing or just move like you or, what, or whatever it is, but you're not like, oh, yes, I need to make this be precise or exact or look perfect or whatever. Very liberating, but mind-blowingly like, just like, whoa yeah Mm -hmm. and I guess as well just hearing you say that in your other work Mm. it's all about the ramifications it has on other people's lives and your responsibility to the other people that you're working with and for so maybe your time in your yoga mat is like the time where you're like oh I'm here for me like this is just my time now yeah and like this weird I think it's fair to say and I'm pretty sure Ian would agree in his own way about things like you know, this weird kind of disconnect feeling. Like I remember going to classes when I was deep in the work I was doing, like with advocacy work or or lawyering I was doing. And I remember either situations where I'd been out in jails during the day and then I'm going to an evening class or I'd been at work. And the, the particular work I was doing at the time, like you're you're encountering extremely traumatic material just over and over and then having to like go to court and do all sorts of stuff. And I remember going into yoga, like Charla's studios at the end of the day and just having this kind of like meltdown inside because it's such a disconnect from what I'd been dealing with all day, like having to be on, hypervigilant, knowing what's going on. And I remember this like one class in particular where I got there at the last minute and there was only one space left and it was the front row. That and is always the last space left <laughs> in yeah. class. And I was just like, I cannot do this. I cannot have people behind me. My hypervigilance is just like it's not a good day. And I remember just being having to like basically slap myself around and being like, wow, you are going to go and do the thing mm. and like kind of marching my way to the front. I remember sitting there and finding the breathwork component of the class excruciating because he, the, the teacher wanted us to obviously be still and focus on our breath and all this stuff. And remember at that time, I could not sit still. I, yeah. It was like, oh, my. It's fair to say yin classes with you are a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd be yeah. like, sit still, stop, stop, stop. You don't need to do I, Cossack squats and, <laughs> and shoulder stand. Just but lay it down. It was like dealing with all of this stress and like being having to be on all the time and not knowing where to put that. And so just I remember just being like, I just can't. It was just so intense. And it's fair to say, you know, and Ian has had his own kind of journey with this stuff too. And it's stuff we've really had to work on, like, and actually dedicate our our thought process to about being like, this is a safe space. It is okay. No one is going to come up behind. No, and- I think that's part of the cool part of it and maybe even why it's called like a practice because you're mm. practicing something, you know, consecutively. And if you can dedicate yourself to it, the benefits can be can be massive, especially, mm. and it's not just emergency services people. I think it's anyone. We live in a really, I don't know, I feel like the world yells at us a lot these days. Oh, like, and especially like yeah. if you didn't have mental health challenges before, the last three years. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, last totally, three years and then totally. throw in um, social media and everyone having an opinion that they want you to 
you know, get sucked into like a poking machine. It's good to have somewhere to go like for an hour where that gets put in a bag, it gets separated. You know, people might eye roll a little bit and be like, oh, me time, that's a bit selfish. But it's like, if you can't sort of look after yourself and control yourself, how are you going to help anyone around you? You know, like just taking an hour or whatever it is, half an hour, whatever it is, just to put those things aside do something for yourself mentally and physically like it the benefits are massive it, it doesn't mean you need to do handstands or you know mm. be able to chant and levitate off the mat like it doesn't mean <laughs> that at all it's just like just something that you practice becomes part of your your weekly or daily routine i think it's yeah mm. the benefits are immense a nice analogy I've heard is like doing your yoga practice. It's like having a shower. It's yeah. for you, but if you don't do it, the people around you yeah. are also awesome. going to suffer. Like that. That's like true. That. That's, That's really so good. true. I like that yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, And I've got another insight because um, just hearing your story about showing up and being on that mat at the front and just like <laughs> so much within you, it's really hard that to be still. That was wild. I could, yeah, that was, I don't even know, I, even talking about it now, I'm like, I just remember that and I remember that day and I was like, I just remember thinking, do not, do not have a meltdown in front of these people because they will not, even as open and carry sherry as they are, they will not understand what's going on so yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> like I've read in yoga teacher Facebook groups like mm. the teacher saying I've got this student they can't be still oh, I find it distracting the class finds it distracting. <laughs> but also it's like think about what that person might have been mm. through before mm. they showed up on mm. the mat and this is their time to decompress and mm. maybe trying to make that person be still is mm. going to be like that extra button to push that's really going to like mm. send them into this meltdown yeah. and maybe this is a time where like if they were just able to move and fidget a little bit and kind of like discharge some of that energy, yeah. they would be able to settle into the practice. Yeah. So it's yeah. that from the outside, it might be like, oh, they're just fidgeting. They should just be quiet and still. But yeah. from the inside, it's like we don't know what people have gone through before they've shown up on the mat. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like, And I remember actually the conversation I had before coming into class because it's and it's fair to say anyone that knows me will know that I generally am running on this like octane of up, up here. So like I still to this day generally will present at classes that I, I'm not teaching. I'm there for my own practice and I'll be like racing through the door. Like it's all, there's, there's always been something that's happening and it's just, ugh. and like it's always up here. And I remember kind of bursting through the door the last minute thinking, oh my God, am I going to make this class and all this stuff? And also feeling that pressure, like I have to make sure I've made this class, like, you know, classic type A, you know, all the, all the crap, all the jazz. But I remember kind of bursting in and explaining and being like, look, I'm really, really sorry. I've been held up and trying to kind of explain like, cause you know, like with that's the word I'm looking at. You know, like when people booked in a class and there's like that four-hour book out time and me trying to explain, I'm really sorry, I can't, I've been in a jail all day and you can't take phones in the jail and, and this is what's been happening and, and you can't take the phone in there and, and I can't and the four hours and I'm sorry and I just, and I remember the teachers sort of being like, they heard me say cells and he interpreted that as something about talking about my cells inside of my body and I remember just being like, no, nah, man, what are you talking about? I'm talking about jail cells, like jail cells, like, you know, and and I'm like, it was this moment where I was like, I felt this like total disconnect of, it, it, yeah, and I sort of was like, Laura, contain your crazy. These people don't want to hear about that. But I was trying to desperately explain why I hadn't checked 
myself out of the class and why I was running late and why I couldn't call because you can't, you know, and we talk yeah. about this a lot. Like, you know, it'd be like you can't have phones in jails. You can't have yeah. phones when you're interviewing someone. Mm. You can't have phones in a courtroom. You can't do this. You can't do that. Yeah. And so the, the the checkout time to book yourself out of the class, we would just, well, we, we can't. Yeah. So, and I remember scrambling in trying to explain that story and it just landing completely wrong. It was, he's like, but your cells, man, are they like on a molecular on level, a molecular level yeah. man? And I remember telling you this yeah. story over dinner and Ian and I was like, oh, and I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> and I think she, he was like, what is she talking about? But got there in the end. And yes, I did do the class. <laughs> <laughs> but that can be a cool thing about like yoga and stuff yes. too, I think, is that it's so different to yes. all yes. of those adversarial systems and, and those sorts of jobs. And that, that's something that in the end I thought, wouldn't appeal to me, but it but it really did. It was mm. like being in a space where it's completely different and you're not talking about horrible things or it's not this like toxic environment where everything's negative and the world sucks and people suck and all of that kind of stuff. It's like if you're looking to do something that's really different to those things, yoga can be a really good pathway and you, you don't have to be like into the esoteric and chanting and all of that stuff. If it's not for you, that's cool, but it, it's good to challenge yourself to be around something different. And yeah, and just get out of your comfort zone a little bit and the benefits, yeah, as I said before, like really, really kind of enormous, I think, and mm. a bit of fun too. Like you meet some crazy people and, it, and it's a bit of a laugh and, you know, like why not? And Do I something different. Ian's reflections I've always liked because I think it's fair to say, and I'm sure I'm not speaking out of turn no. saying this, Ian, but I think it's fair to say Ian has very much lived in a world and been brought up in a world where you've got to be a strong man, strong boy, strong man. And then going into a job where you're expected to be, you know, undoubtedly you're expected to be dominant, you're expected to be strong, and yeah. you're expected to show up every time. Like, you know, and I guess the interesting thing about police work, especially general duties, is that they are going from one, you know, either really mundane thing to one extreme trauma thing to another extreme trauma, and yeah. you're expected to just keep going and going and going. And any sign of emotionality or weakness is not accepted very well, even though there's, you know, there's work being done at the moment to try and change that. But I know when I started, and this is like another probably funny thing about our relationship, I'm that woman that's like, tell me how you feel. And he's like, yep, good. Yeah, you good know, and bad. Good. Mostly good. Yeah, I'm good. Bad. Whatever. But And I'd be mm. asking Ian, like, you know, how are you finding being in yoga? And when Ian would venture beyond good, he would then start becoming quite expressive and being like, oh, you know, just being able to like basically to, to paraphrase Ian, like to be able to go somewhere and not have to be, you know, like having to be seen as dominant or, you know. Yeah, it's not the, it's a different culture. It's, yeah. it's completely different and that's what's so good about it. I mm. think it's, yeah, you can be having an off, an off day. Mm -hmm. You might want to lay on the floor and not participate and people generally aren't going to you know, hold it against you mm. or or those sorts of things. It's just such a different environment to policing or or lawyering mm. and, and all of those sorts of things. Mm. So, yeah, it's I really enjoyed it and I met some people who I would never have met, would never have become friends with, who are just so different to what I was used to and you would talk about feelings or you would talk about what's going on in your life and not have to put up a front where you're like, no, I'm good. I went to this today and it was horrible, but whatever. Let's mm. go drink some beer and, you mm. know, watch mm. the footy and all of that kind of stuff, <laughs> which is cool. There's a place for everything, but it's also good to meet people. And I think yoga is different in that sense 
where it is okay to kind of lower the guard a little bit mm. and and you meet those people who are willing to discuss you know be it spiritual emotional whatever it happens to be and you can like release the valve that way a little bit too without it just being the kind of macho environment yeah. and just casting things aside so yeah yeah or not can't i can't recommend it enough I guess as mm. well not to like kind of and not to put anyone off there if you want to work in the adversarial legal system or emergency services, go for it. Definitely uh, I think it's there's a really good thing to go and do those things but I think it's probably fair to say that those systems, if there's a sniff of weakness, it can be used against you. Absolutely. So you tend to not show that, you know, so yeah, which can I think take its toll. Absolutely it does. And that's you right. You're expected to, and you have to to a degree. Like you go and see people in their moments of crisis, mm-hmm. and I think something that's said in policing a bit is you're often dealing with people on the worst day of their life. So, what are you meant to do? Like you have to show strength, and you have to show that you're in control. But doing that constantly isn't good for you, and you need to come up with methods to, you know, understand that you don't have to do that 24 hours a day. Which probably goes into the hypervigilance thing as well, but just being able to find something in your life where you can shut off from that and surround yourself with some different kind of people. Yeah, it's really good. Mm. Yeah. Before we go on, I just wanted to remind you that you can use our discount code MACFLOW at markaloo.com to get 10% off. You'll support the podcast and a great sustainable Australian company. The Markaloo is a set of nesting domes on a wooden base that you can use for self-massage, stability and proprioceptive awareness. It's such a great, portable and accessible tool that really opens up new movement possibilities. And it's a great addition to chair yoga, adding stability challenges to a floor-based practice, or for anyone who loves self-massage. The shape of the Markaloo domes are actually designed to be helpful and comfortable to hold for people working with arthritis or peripheral neuropathy, and their nesting nature allows you to gradually increase load. Check out our link in the show notes for all our Markaloo resources, including some free video classes. And so is that why you, because you both seem like you've got really full plates already, and then you (laughs) went to do more training to become yoga teachers and started a yoga business. Mm. And in some ways that takes the thing that was your safe refuge and your time that was just for you. And you're like, oh, now it's another thing that I have to do for other people and I have to be responsible for other people when they're in my class. And I'm wondering if it's because you really saw the need in the other environments that you were working with or because it was something that really made you personally happy, so you wanted to, like, do more of what's lighting you up personally? Yeah, well, I'll take the lead on this one. I'll talk from from my perspective, and it kind of bleeds in. So I think for me personally, yoga teaching was a long time coming, coming from a dance background. And like I mentioned, the style of dance that I was training to be, it was just never going to eventuate. And one of the things I loved about yoga is that you can be any shape, any size, it doesn't matter. Whereas what I was doing, you had to be a particular shape, size, all the things. And I also fell very heavily, madly, deeply in love with all things pole dancing and aerial. Again, an environment where it's like, it doesn't matter what you look like, what size you are, no one cares, which for me was a revelation because after the years of what I went through as a child, it was not that <laughs> at all. And I think it was a long time coming. And I, while, you know, I'm very grateful for the experiences I had 
and the opportunities I've had from my professional career lawyering and, and advocacy. And yeah, you know, had insights into things that, you know, once you encounter that, you there's this, this expression, once you've touched the darkness, it touches you back. And so, yeah, have seen things, smelt things, heard things, been told things that, you know, that will go with you to the grave forever. So, you know, bearing in mind all that, but it was a long time coming. I went really deeply into pole dancing. I remember talking with my pole coach, Mish, Michelle Mishka from Mooney Ponds Pole Divas. And I was like, oh, I just, I really want to do, like, I want to do like yoga teaching. I want to do pole dance teaching. I want to do something that's going to be amazing for, you know, like movement and expression and bodies and all this stuff. And for years we were sort of talking about this and she's like, oh, you should just do it. And basically in a nutshell, there was never the opportunity. And then through absolute, well, fact of life stuff, but also deep sadness and and trauma, what ended up happening was my dad who ended up passing last year, my dad got sick back in July, 2019. And that, that experience really hit us, hit our family. And it was this thing where it's fair to say Anne and I were very uh, careerist, career-focused, and very focused on helping other people through our work and have always been very close with our family. But, you know, our work and our jobs were very, you know, taking us in other directions. When my dad became unwell, it was like, well, we've like, and, and I, myself and my mum and my dad were very, always very close. And so when this happened with my dad, it was like, I've got to make a big decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to be out there being available for someone else's problems or am I going to be stepping up to the plate in my own home and my own family? So when this happened with dad, it was like one of these like, you know, sliding doors moments where it was like, I've got to now essentially still be trying to bring in the bacon because I'm going to need it because we knew that things with dad weren't, wasn't going to be great. So I need to be making money to be able to deal with the inevitable things. But at the same time, like I've, I've got to do what, what I need to do. And so it was through that time where I stopped lawyering and I took on other roles and I was more available and focused with what was going on with dad. It also made us realize that the lifestyles that we've been living with our jobs wasn't conducive for when you've got to care for someone and when there's a lot of emergency situations, which is un- unfortunately what we had happening with my, my dad at the time. And so really, I think that was like this big learning experience. It also then when my dad passed away, and this was all happening during the COVID lockdown, so we had a lot going on. And uh, I was trying to, you know, Ian was trying to be support for me, support for my mum, support for my dad while he was still alive. I was trying to do the same for all of them and, you know, all the things. And so there was, there was a lot going on. And so when my dad passed away, we had this big conversation about like basically in a nutshell, holy shit, like that, like we thought we'd seen some things in our life and we had seen some things in our life but that was something else and it hit home in a different way and it was sort of like one of these moments of what what do we want for the rest of our lives and basically that started unraveling I guess this layer of this onion for Ian and I where we started questioning a lot of things about our lives and what we'd been doing and that we'd like the directional course to sort of change and so yeah so it was like two two weeks after my dad died I started my teacher training and it was a really heavy time 
and we were in deep lockdowns and all this sort of stuff. And yeah, it sort of, that, that was really the, it was a long time coming, but that was like, that was the straw. And it was like, it just opened up this whole, it was kind of like the thing that had scared me the most in my life about what could potentially happen with my dad that happened. And then all of a sudden I was like, what's there to be scared of, man? Like, and so for us, professionally, I'm sure you can empathize. This was a big thing. Like when I sort of was like, I'm not lawyering anymore. I remember people, well-meaning and and very lovely friends of ours and and colleagues, but people being like, are you insane? Why not? And I'm like, I've I've got to be with my dad. This is more important. And, And, but in our, I guess, without kind of, kind of being a little bit funny about the adversarial legal system or policing, but sometimes it can be a bit of an all or nothing. And so if you then start expressing different things that can go against that grain, it can be a bit like, well, what do you mean you're not lawyering anymore? Or like with, mm. I mean, gosh, when Ian started yoga, like I think they're, oh, made, they're like, Vipol's like. He has lost He has plot. lost the plot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> spot on. Spot on. And then when you're like, oh, and I'm going to do yoga teacher training and become a yoga teacher. And they're like, what the, this guy needs to be sent for assessment somewhere. There's something wrong. Um, which there probably is, but I do, I digress. But I suppose, yeah, in terms of the teacher training, like not to be a, I don't know, a yoga missionary or anything like that. But like what I wanted to get out of it too was just kind of spreading the benefit of doing a practice, making it accessible to to people who otherwise might not want to do it. And and also I guess speaking to what you were saying with uh with these sorts of jobs, something I've noticed and like we I'm sure we'll speak about them, but like mm-hmm. the Code Nine Foundation and mm-hmm. and organizations like that who are trying to assist members who are who are going through some tough times. These jobs as well, something I think you can get lost in a little bit is that I, I sort of call them identity jobs where mm. people really mm-hmm. attach their identity to it, yep. you know, and you can understand why, like you wear a uniform, all your friends are there, they're, they're almost cultish in a sense because you work all of these crazy shifts and you don't see your family, you don't, people withdraw from all of their outside networks, you don't have friends who aren't outside the job and it becomes everything. And I don't know, I'm kind of obsessed with Stoics and stuff at the moment as well and what they talk about and the concept of anything can be taken from you at any time and it's just a job, like mm-hmm. that's it. At mm-hmm. the end of the day, like it's a great job, like it can be a great job. You, I think most people want to join to do something good for their community mm-hmm. but like don't lose sight of the fact that it is a job. You can have an injury, you can be involved, especially policing, you could be involved in an incident and the next day you're not a policeman any anymore, policeman, mm. policewoman. So it is, I think the good thing with yoga for me is one, it's very different and two, it's like, it's something that you can practice yourself no matter what you're doing, no matter what career you're in, it's something that can always be there. So yeah, I, I don't know, I've kind of waffled on a little bit, but it's, yeah, it's certainly something I thought about when you were speaking. It's just these identity jobs don't lose the sight of the mm-hmm. fact that you are you. You are not just the uniform. You are not just the job that you're doing. Yeah, you're you. Like, don't lose sight of that because it, it. I see it really wreck people if they haven't got anything else sort of outside of it. Yeah, so that's what I'd kind of say to that. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it actually is one of the things that I've been wondering about. Some of the mental health challenges that people face when they're doing these like high stress, relentless roles. And Mm. you've mentioned hypervigilance a few times. And obviously, this is something that people develop because it's a necessity in that role to stay safe. So is the idea that, well, like, Obviously, it's not a state of mind that you can sustainably operate in for the other 20, (laughs) the rest of your day. Absolutely. So would the goal be that it's a state you can go into when you need it and then drop out of when you clock off or... Yeah. Well, I think on that note, and this is something we were talking about on the car, there's also the idea of clocking off, which Mm. in these jobs, unfortunately, like they don't you know, they don't clock off, they don't stop. And something we've spoken about over the years is that if you don't put that punctuation mark in yourself, it's going to still keep going. It presents well with policing because they do shifts. And so it's it's 24 hours. Like even now, Ian will be on call overnight after being at work during the day. Very disruptive. But from a, say, from a lawyering perspective, same, same. Like, you know, you'll have matters that you've got to go and run, and there might be some last minute change that's happened, and you've got to file that, you know, file that. There was an article in the paper today. Mm -hmm. A lawyer got sacked, I think, because she took a sick day. And it was something along the lines of there was an upcoming court matter, and Mm. and she had that matter on, Mm. but she was sick, and Mm. her employer was essentially like, Lawyers are different. You can't take a sick day. Mm. You, and so it's something that's ever present in these kind of jobs that they never never stop. Mm, never stop. Yeah. Never yeah. stop. Especially I think it's probably fair to say, and there's different types as well of, of you know, policing is policing, but there's different types of police work. But lawyering similar, like you might be a corporate lawyer, which you're not dealing with trauma, but you might be dealing with 24-hour, you know, you might be doing a, you know, a, a merger and acquisition for people in the States and they're on a different time zone. In my experience with like human rights lawyering and child protection lawyering, those are, are jobs where, you know, they, these are human jobs where things are happening 24 hours a day, stuff like that. Or, you know, say for example, now there's night court in Victoria. So some criminal lawyers will be working night courts and will be doing like bail applications at night court. Because people are remanded twenty, uh, people are like detained by police twenty four hours a day, so it's very hard to create this idea of a delineation of your workday starting and ending, especially yeah, if you're on call, like in Ian's and, job. And on the note of like the hypervigilance thing, there's I, th- I think he's still working, but there's a sort of a famous police psychologist, Dr. Gil Martin, and he does like a lot of presentations, and he talks a lot about hypervigilance. I think his book's called The Survival Manual. For law enforcement officers, something along those lines. It's it's a very small book, but it, it's kind of like it it's renowned for coping mechanisms for that concept of hypervigilance and and it's ever present. I think it's I think it's probably worse for general duties members and uniform members who you do your shift and you're out on the van or doing some form of foot patrol or something like that, and you have to be vigilant, like you have to be watching out for one another, for each other's safety. And we were talking about it on the car here, like some of the worst things that I went to in terms of critical incidents or kind of horrible events as such is you you don't even see it coming. It, it can be as simple as, you know, you get called to a noise complaint and the next thing, in the next minute, you're in a critical incident, you're fighting someone, you're wrestling on the ground or, you know, horrible to talk about, but a lot of police shootings start in those kind of circumstances. So you train yourself to, to be ever vigilant 
always looking around. There's some quotes in that Dr. Gil Martin book about how like police essentially never go off duty and the only people walking down the street that are in tune with one with one another are, are police members and um, members of the public members that of are the public encountering like, police yeah like, like as in people um, that are um, prisoners and prisoners and these yeah. sorts of things because mm. there's just that constant hyper vigilance and so to be able to with yoga I think the good thing there is you can actually get some practical skills with breath work and these sorts of things where you can you know you have to acknowledge that it's a natural, what the parasympathetic nervous system and these kinds of things. You, you're putting yourself in a state of flight and fight all of the time, and it's really, really bad for your health. So, yoga, in that sense, in a practical sense, I think is awesome in terms of, you know, breath work, these sorts of things. Like for people who have done some of the police training, you'll hear of like combat breathing, and it sounds really, sounds really cool, you know, like combat breathing. But <laughs> really, it's it's box breathing. It's it's breath work. It, they're all yoga concepts as well. So, you know, you can take away some of those practical tools to, even if it's a minute, two minutes, five minutes after a shift, just to be like, you know, cool. Your body is telling you that the lion is chasing you and is going to kill you, but it's not. You've finished your shift now. You can try to go home, relax with your family, take some time out to yourself just to downregulate and and kind of stop being in that state. And it's a really hard thing to do though. Like mm. if you're doing 40 plus hours a week plus shift work and all of these sorts of things. But I think you have to put some sort of effort into it because, yeah, again, it's just something you, you can never relax. You, you're not, and then your quality of time with your family mm. and your friends, it's it's diminished because you you are still in that state like, I'm at work. And that little voice in your head's like, what's that person doing over there? Oh, what's that sound? Is that an emergency? Mm. Or, or like, you know, when you're on patrol, you're constantly listening to the radio and you're distracted all the time. And yeah, it, it puts your body in a state. So you've got to do something for it. Yoga is a great way to do it, I think, especially the breath work aspects of it. Yeah. And so we've got a we've got a question on our new client form, just what occupation do you do? Like, mm. Say someone has written in like they're a first responder or yeah. they work in the yeah. adversarial legal system. Mm. So even if that person hasn't mentioned hypervigilance as an issue, yeah, you might have an idea that that could be something that they're dealing with. What advice do you have knowing that person is coming to your class and knowing that everyone is going to have their own individual and unique experience? Mm. Like, What are some helpful teaching strategies? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting, that's a hard one. I, I think kind of what we covered before as well, like if you're teaching in those areas and like obviously trauma-informed yoga is becoming more normalized or something that people want to do. It's it's probably just getting an understanding of it, un- understanding that, yeah, the things we discussed, people might not want to be touched. They might not want you in their space. They're probably coming there hyper-stressed. So, you know, doing those breathwork things, which I get aren't for everyone. A lot of people don't So I guess giving like an them. out if giving there's a breath out, work. Giving an out, mm. but just those focuses on just getting people to taking some time to just even regulate their breath like that's sort of what I'd say I think it, it's it's complex because then you then you look at even things we've discussed with like army veterans and these mm-hmm. sorts of things mm-hmm. like one of the things there is like you know the lighting of incense no go um, yeah, definite no it, go yeah you know we're being in the Middle East and these mm-hmm. sorts of places where incense and smells like stimulate those sorts of responses it's mm. it's just having an awareness of it like mm. you you can't I suppose I don't know if it sounds harsh or not, like you can't cater for everyone, but mm. it's not just emergency services workers that are going to have those sorts of problems. There's, you know, we 
you only have to read a newspaper to understand all of the kind of things that people go through and traumas and all of this kind of stuff. So yeah, I'd, I'd say the big ones for me would be like understanding it, definitely the physical, like if you're going to run classes, maybe do something where someone can tell you like, please do not touch me, please do not come into my space, those sorts of things. And and if you offer props or eye coverings or these sorts of things, like give people an out, like don't don't be forceful with that kind of stuff. That that would be my main thing. I think, look, from my perspective and my experiences are different to Ian's in the sense that, oh, look, you know, there probably is a myriad of things for me being also female and the work that I have done has involved me spending time and, and I have to sort of frame this with being careful of of how I respond to some of the questions because I've got continuing employment obligations. But some of the work that I have done has been out in in jail settings where, you know, these are particular environments and and, you know, you do have to be aware of your safety. And I think similarly with police work and if you're interacting and doing work with with different people, you're always having to be a little bit mindful of your surroundings and what's going on. I think unfortunately what can happen, and I know I've had a lot of conversations with friends and colleagues of mine who have worked in these systems, and it can be really common that people will, will share stories about going home to, I remember one in particular, someone sharing a story with me about how they they were going home and the way they were talking with their children was like it was the the prisoners. And this wasn't going well mm. in the home environment is one way of putting it. And, you know, it was taking a bit of reflection on how to kind of address that, but trying to create a delineation between home and work and all this stuff. But I think that a part of being aware of if someone's working and not even people just that are working in these systems, people that have been incarcerated themselves, or you might've been someone who grew up in an institutionalized setting, like you might've been in residential care, absolutely, or you might've been at a closed mental health facility. You might've been in an immigration detention center. So many people have got these experiences, or i dare also put it out there, they might have intergenerational trauma of this. It might not have been them directly, but it might have been their parent. And you see this a lot working in, say, Aboriginal community, comes up a lot. And so sometimes these things can play out in different ways. I think that a big thing for me is when we do our classes, our general classes as well, I always try to space mats out and so that people don't feel too close to each other. And I am a real walker, like, because I get, as I put it out there before, I get a bit like nervy, a bit fidgety. And so I like to walk around when I'm, I'm teaching and, and communicating. But I try to be really mindful about walking too close to people or walking behind people. Cause even to this day, and Ian and I've worked on this so much. I still have days where I'm like, I just can't cope with someone being behind me. Mm. And like, I haven't worked in those settings for quite a while, but still it might just be a thing on that day or an encounter that I've just had on the street or, you know, cause we've had that happen. And, you know, I was saying this in the car ride over, like had an experience once where I was talking on the street in just plain clothes, just me being me, just me as my usual self. And I was going off to go and do pole dancing and whatever, live my best life. And <laughs> was really excited about going and living my best life. And one of Ian's colleagues, a friend of ours pulled up in a police car. And in that moment, I stupidly made the decision and it was silly of me and I now chastise myself about it but you know it is what it is where we saw each other and we were like hey how's it going 
easy. I thought, great, no worries. And it was something that I knew I shouldn't have done because, you know, it could have, you know, this could have been a good thing or a not good thing. And in that moment, it wasn't a good thing. And there was someone on the street who was a member of the public that saw me interacting with this police officer in this friendly manner and then decided to come up and start verbally abusing me, then followed me all the way to where I was going. And I had to make a decision in that moment whether I was going to go into the studio. And I'm like, I can't take my problems in in that studio. So luckily for me, there there's a police station nearby and I ended up this person followed me the whole way there, came up to me and fronted me, like right up close fronted me, male, and I like had to run around this person and go into the police station, burst in and was like explained very quickly to the person in the watch house what was going on and they let me through and I, basically on story short I ended up having Ian who was working had to come and get me and drive me home, mm. which was like a bit embarrassing. But the point of the story is this, even, you know, unfortunately when you're in these jobs and and you know whatever like even to this day when I say goodbye to Ian out the front of his work we always make sure that we don't you know we don't hug and kiss out the front and we don't get all smoochy poochy just because there might be someone that's not so keen on the fact that you know you know your other half's going in to do that job and you know and and this is something that for me I I'm always conscious about and in that moment when that happened that was just a reinforcing moment in time where I was like Oh, and I was really annoyed at myself because I had let my guard down at that moment. And so sometimes it's hard to explain how hypervigilance can present, but that was a good example where, you know, I was just rocking and rolling, living my best pole dancer life. I'm about to go and train and I'm living the dream and and just, yeah, I let my guard down and was just like, oh, good day, how's it going? And through the police car and in that moment it did not go well down, go down well on that day. But it stuck with me. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes you got to think about these things. And so hypervigilance can present in lots of different ways. Like I used to feel this a lot when I was working and I was very stressed out and working with clients. I had to be very, you know, an unfortunate thing about life and humanity is that, you know, unfortunately there are there are people in this world that have a lot of issues and mental health problems and sometimes, you know, do things that are not great and you have to, you know, they, they end up in a custodial setting and you're the lawyer that's going in and working with that or whatever. It kind of is what it is. But, you know, that can create a hypervigilance in, in that way. But then you can also have hypervigilance when you're just in your normal life. So, yeah, I guess with all of that, weird and wacky reflection in mind, I guess, I I think for us, we just try to always think that just trying to create a space that, and like Ian said, obviously you can't be attuned to everybody and what might set one person off might set not set another person off, but you can also try to do your best to to try to make it as calm as possible. Maybe like for us, not stacking people really close to each other because we know that that can be really difficult. Mm. We personally don't light incense just because if we're working with people that have done stuff like in a military context overseas, we know that that can not be great for some people. I think the touching is a massive one. Touching. And there's easy ways to get around it, yeah. you know, cue cards or, or these sorts of things. Yeah. And just, I, th- I don't think it's that hard to implement those sorts of things just yeah. to it's not just emergency services workers, as we said. Yeah. It's just people in general. Like, yeah. if they're happy with you giving them adjustments, yes, yeah, sweet, no stress. And mm. but give someone the ability to say, no, not not for me, thanks. Mm. And, and then they can even, relax. Even better, like 
make sure someone is actually wanting it. Yeah. So yeah. it's not just saying, yeah. no, it's like, yes, yeah. I yeah. want that in this yeah, class. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And being 100%. really clear, like, not yeah. just is it okay if I touch you, but it's like, oh, would it be all right if I just rearrange your yeah. hand there so yeah. it might make yeah. your shoulder more comfortable? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. True. And I guess as well, like, the other thing for us with the work that we do with the Code 9 Foundation, which we, we can talk about if you guys want. I think like. it would be a good time, yeah. 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 Um, well, did you want to start off with that about the? Yeah, yeah. So the Code 9 Foundation, yeah, is a foundation that works with, I think, serving and ex-police members who may or may not have have some mental health issues. Generally, it's stemming from the job that they've done and these sorts of things. And it's just a little community to try to, you know, give people access to services, be it yoga or be it sort of mental health assistance services and these sorts of things. And yeah, they, they do a wonderful job. They've got like little Facebook groups and these sorts of things where you can reach out and talk to one another. And yeah, and we've been working with them in a yoga sense, just trying to get people some access to yoga classes. So mm. sort of catered for that Audience. Audience. And the Code 9 Foundation, for what it's worth as well, they also, their um, Ian's corrected, is serving members and, and ex-serving members, but also people that are first responders yeah, and, sorry, ar- and army veterans yeah. as well. So bearing in mind that, say, army veterans are perhaps a different cohort, first responders in general also, because that in- includes things like para paramedics and people like that and police and police culture is also quite its own distinct thing as well but the common denominator with that group is that look anyone connected to to the above mentions can can be involved but the common denominator is that for the most part most people are either currently experiencing or recovering from severe post-traumatic stress disorder and for some of them they have also spent time as an inpatient at Ward 17 which is at the Austin Hospital which is a facility for the treatment of people with severe PTSD and and they cater at Ward 17 for army vets and, and police. So what we uh Code 9 Foundation is really interesting and very an interesting and generous group of people. They have a distinct kind of part that's for the members themselves. Yeah. And then there's a part that's like for the family members thereof. So like, for example, me as, as the wife. So it's really interesting because you don't just see the, which is strangely very reassuring from my perspective, it's not just about the member and what's going on for them. Because the weird thing, and Baba love ya, but often what happens is it's all about them. They've had their bad shift. I can't do the washing because I've had to, whatever. And then it's the the family members, like I was sort of saying with the, the prison officer coming home with the kids and treating the kids like they're prisoners and this creating this terrible home life environment. The family, the immediate family members, are also experiencing a lot because their, you know, dad or husband or or wife or you know whoever is coming home. They've had a you know bad day, and you bring your guard down when you're at home, and all sorts of things can come out and have happened. And so these groups are really interesting because they allow. I guess, a safe setting for people to be able to talk about these challenges and what's kind of going on. So when we started Move Like You Yoga, we cater for general general classes, obviously, but the, the Code 9 specific classes are a specific class, closed community group, just for people that can come. And I, I guess the the thing that is sort of 
the point of that group is to allow members or their immediate family members an opportunity to come try yoga in a space where they know that everybody else in that group gets what is going on. So it's like, you know, we kind of have this discussion where it's like, oh, if someone's feeling like they're about to have a bit of a meltdown, there's not this feeling like you are going to be judged because everyone there knows that, you know, everyone gets it. So it's just designed to be a a space in that way that people can kind of come and just, you know, get a vibe on a bit of yoga, you know, do a bit of stretching, do a bit of breathing technique and it being a space that they know that everyone else in that room gets it. Yeah. So, which is what we're we're trying to create yeah. for, that, yeah. for that group. Yeah, just a place where people can, yeah, get access to yoga and whether they continue with us or it can be that first step into maybe, you know, trying a studio out or whatever it happens to be and just, yeah, getting the benefits of it, which we've, yeah, we've covered, I suppose, pretty extensive, the physical and, and mental benefits of just doing something, doing a practice, committing yourself to it and just a bit of time each day to, uh, yeah, to to get in there and, and try something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I had a, we are kind of nearing the end of our time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Over the time, but I did have a question for you. Yep. So especially in that Code 9 class, yep. I imagine a lot of people there need to relax yep. but may not be ready to relax. Yeah. Do you find that people respond better to like a strong physical practice where they can kind of let some of that or like burn through some of that energy held in their body no. or like a gentle mm. chill yeah. practice? Yeah. So that the group, well, I can only talk from out the group that we work with, but they generally, this group of people that come, they want restorative. And it's often been that their psychiatrist has suggested gentle and restorative. So for that group, they're very much into gentle and restorative. I think it would be something that with time, they might want to, with time, they may decide that they want to work up to something a little bit more intensive. But I think for a lot of people, some some are also balancing medication side effects and things like this. So they're not necessarily always feeling 100% or different stuff is kind of going on. But for for that group in particular, it tends to be restorative stuff. And then if they like to, they're always welcome to come and do other classes that might be a bit more intensive. But Yeah, yeah. sort of, yeah, breath work, yin postures, kind of, yeah, just getting getting people onto the mat first, I think, and, mm. and doing that's kind of introductory this is what yoga can be and this is how it can benefit you. And and as you say, if it, it develops down the path where people are like, all right, I, I want to amp it up, absolutely, it's not an issue. But, yeah, I suppose it's a it's an interesting balance though because, I mean, yin for some people can be excruciating mm. both mentally and physically mm. and then – because it sounds like you were one of those people, yeah. Laura. Yes, that's the thing. And I was mm. just about to say, so, you know, for me and trying to cope with stuff, I was just like yang, 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 vinyasa, like, you know, this is me. Like if I could, I would do like three vinyasas a day. Like that was me, you know, like yeah. hardcore, everything's hardcore. But then it wasn't really until with things happening with my dad that I started to realize it's kind of like, oh my gosh, there's only, I think it's actually heightening me up further. And so now I recognize that there, yes, there will always be a strong part of me that's very like, I need the yang practice. I need to do the thing. But at the same time, now recognizing that that softer, more restorative stuff is so important. So everybody's different. It just happens to be that the people that come to our class, they vocalize that they there's always an option. Do you want something stronger? And generally it will be, no, I just, you know, because 
for, for most of the time, it's often just making here it here today yeah, has that's been that's a massive effort. That's been a ma- massive, you know, I'm exhausted effort. Yeah, yeah, but recognizing that obviously everyone's different. So yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I guess I'm sort of curious, given that you know you've mentioned that a lot of people in your experience and in your line of work are kind of like, yeah, this is crazy type. Mm. Yeah, like, do you find any resistance with people sort of coming into Code Nine, or um, I, yeah, or yeah, have they already yeah, passed actually, that stage, perhaps? Or I think actually I can answer this very clearly because we have spoken with people through Code Nine who are like, I don't like yoga, mm. and that's cool. If it's not your jam, it's not your jam. That that's not not a worry. But I'd say, do you not like it because you think you don't like it, or have you tried it and you don't like it? Kind of two different streams. With a lot of other people that I'm associating with, whether it be through the police force or even like doing jujitsu and these sorts mm. of things where people are like, oh, no, I don't like yoga. I'm not flexible or I don't chant or, or those kind of they, these little hurdles that people put up. I've seen that quite a fair bit. And I think, and it's for me, I'm, I try to sort of convey, well, it's not about being flexible. You don't have to put your hands under your feet when you're doing a forward bend or, you know, your head doesn't have to touch the floor in hero pose. That's cool. Like we're all at different stages physically and you generally with yoga, you can participate with the kind of, I suppose, esoteric spiritual side of it. If you wish to, you don't have to. I, I haven't been many places where they're like, you must chant or you must, you know, engage with other philosophical points of it. I, I haven't experienced that. And for me, it's just conveying like, Almost, I think we spoke about it a couple of months ago, but kind of with people, especially people that I've associated with, it's it's like, look, yes, yoga does have those spiritual elements to it, but there's also massive practical benefits. So, you know, if you're someone who lifts weights or does a martial art or plays footy or whatever it happens to be, you can you can use this to your benefit. And then if they engage with it and then they decide to go down the pathway of, oh, I will explore the spiritual side of it that's cool like go for it but if your thing is purely the physical it's like man yoga will make you more flexible more mobile you will be able to you know if you're lifting weights you'll have more range like you can't build strength in range you don't have so you'll get more range your squat will get better you your deadlifts will get better or footy you know you want to kick the ball 50 meters if you tear your hamstring off the bone when you're trying to do that what well, that's that's not cool so there's many great elements to yoga that aren't just the spiritual side of it. And th- and that's where I've found that resistance to go back to your question. It's like, no, I don't do that. Like that's that's not me and I don't chant and I'm like, come on, just give it a go. Like, like no one's going to make try. you chant. No one's going <laughs> to yeah. make you chant. You know, kind of like even when kids are like, oh, I don't like broccoli. It's like, well, have you tried it? Like, come on, have a go. Like, give it a go. It will. You, you still don't have to like broccoli. That's cool, but yeah, I, don't, I don't like broccoli. Yeah, me neither. I don't know why I said broccoli. But, have you tried it lately? Yeah. Have you tried it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you've got. No, I think Ian's summation is good. And I think in the context of, of the Code 9 Foundation, I think if anything, what we've probably found is the comfort seems to lie with knowing Ian is in the job and that I am the wife and I know what it is, which is kind of ironic because, and this is also part of fun fact about us coming onto this podcast, like we've spent our entire career protecting from the the general public social media realm about our jobs. You know, we've always used social uh, pseudonyms on social media, all this sort of stuff, because we've obviously had to be very, you know, 
You have to stay safe. Yeah, Yeah, Mm. absolutely. And so with the Yoga Code 9 Foundation, when they have found a yoga teacher that is, it's not something that, you know, it's not very common that you rock up and you hear that your yoga teacher's a detective. (laughs) Like, it's not very common. I think it's very common to rock up and find that your yoga teacher's a former corporate lawyer. I think that's very (laughs) common, Um, very common but less so in that regard. So I think for some people, ironically, it gives this kind of like, oh, cool, yeah, right, they get it or like. Or they've tried it, I can try it. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I guess this is a question especially for you, Laura, because Mm. I know that you've said you've worked in human rights Mm. law, you've worked in policy, Mm. you come from an Aboriginal background, Mm. so you see a lot of disparity in the kind of justice that people receive. Mm, yeah. And when you kind of came to yoga and probably went a little bit deeper into the yoga philosophies, yes. was there anything that really resonated with you as like a parallel with the type of change that you were trying to make in your work life or just something that you felt inside? Yeah, I mean, look, definitely similar to, and I guess it touches on the question about giving any tips for tips for young players or people wanting to enter into these careers, emergency services or policing or, or adversarial legal system. I think to be fair, these are careers that often people go into with really great intentions. It might be that you're someone that has had some kind of exposure to something bad happening in your life and you want to, I don't know, be a part of that change. Or you might have had intergenerational experiences that have formulated your experiences and you wanting to go and do that work, which is probably more my where I would land. Or you had, you know, like Ian's experience where you've grown up in a, in a police family, so it's just a thing, you know, you go into it. But I think to be fair, these are often jobs that people go into with very profoundly, deeply good intentions. They then come up against a lot of policies and requirements and hurdles. Also bearing in mind that these are jobs like policing is a great example where they are a function of the executive. Their role is to simply enforce the laws that are in place at the time. That's it. And hence the idea of being apolitical is because you've got to just perform that role regardless of who's in power or whether you agree with the law or not, which is a whole other whole other minefield. But, you know, you go into these jobs with this real burning desire to want to often create change or to be a part of the good or whatever. And then you come up against the reality and the hurdles and the shift work and the adversarial nature and the nasty side of things. And then if you're in jobs like these, you have seen some very dark things that you, once you've seen it, smelt it, heard it, you will never unsee it, smell it or hear it. And yeah, it can get you down. And a lot of there's high attrition rates as well. People start out and the jobs burn out very quickly and leave. But there's also people that stay in the jobs for years. But often what happens is that there is a very high level of, you know, poor coping strategies, drinking, et cetera, perhaps not living your best healthy life. And I think that bearing all that in mind, if people are looking particularly to go into these jobs, understanding very clearly why you wanted to go into it and also knowing who you are, what you're standing for. And if something's not working for you when you enter into it, there's no shame in turning around and being like, you know what, this job's not for me. 100%. That takes a lot of balls, like a lot of guts to to do that. As Ian said, these are often jobs that are closely identified with your identity. So where the yoga stuff comes into it, like I said before, when I started doing the teacher training, it was like unlearning everything. Like, you know, it's okay for it to not be perfect. It's okay to to 
make a mistake and also appreciating about the complexity of life death and you know revolving cycle of life death and all this sort of stuff yeah for me that was like huge so yeah I think that the parallels are there often with people wanting to start on a path of doing something good for the community and then things can get a bit muddied in the waters you know and different things happen or then you realize it's not really the job for you or you know all sorts of reasons and you might just be like oh this isn't really working or you plow through yeah and I think you're spot on like it is I think policing is definitely something where initially at the very least people go in with the best of intentions and it doesn't always work out that way and I mean there's plenty of examples of of where it where it all goes wrong yeah and and, and it's a bit of a crazy job but I suppose if you're thinking for me if you're thinking like if that's really what you want to do you have got to implement some if you're lucky enough to have not started yet or you even if you have started or you've been in it for a long time it's like implementing something that is divergent from that job because like it's just at the end of the day they're they're negative especially policing i think maybe more than other services to some degree like you know you call a firefighter they're going to come and help you with your house is on fire or paramedic you're you're ill and, and they come and help you like we generally don't call police for anything pleasant like they're not necessarily there to help you a lot of the time they're there to take someone's liberty away from them so it's it's a negative job like it just is it's the nature of it and being around negativity all of the time, which it will be, the job is negative. When you go into the lunchroom at work, it's often very negative. You hang out with your mates after and drink beer and talk about the job. What are you talking about? Something that's negative. So don't do that. Like come up with something outside of that. And that for me is where yoga is is a really great avenue to explore because it's a practice. Like it's it takes discipline. It takes like you can't go and practice yoga at six in the morning if you've been drinking all the night before. I mean, you can. You guys have probably seen it a couple of times and it doesn't work out well for people. Especially yeah. aerial yoga. Yeah, no way. Not cool. I, I've experienced the worst possible outcome of, of seeing oh, no. what can happen oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So not cool. So No judgment yeah. though. We've Clean all been there. No, we've all been there. We've all been there. It's all good. As long as it's not a daily thing. But yeah, like for someone starting like pick, Pick a discipline and, and stick to it and have something outside of it. And remember, like, maybe this is negative. It can be taken away from you at any moment. It's just a job. That's cool. Like, you want to do it. That's fantastic. Go and do it. But don't entwine it with who you are. Like, you're more than that. Like, I think everyone's more than their job. So that's what I'd say. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I guess that brings us around to our last question that we ask here. And you, <laughs> you guys have probably touched on this already, but... I guess if you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you teach down to one core essence, what do you think that one thing would be? I'm going to go to Laura first so I can think about this question. <laughs> it's like the delay tactic, isn't uh, it? I reckon in this weird and wacky way, I think my answer would be just trying to be open-minded. I think that especially when people find out what Ian and I do, do like, you know, there can be, uh, you know, we we get that, like there can be this what and this resistance but one thing it's also taught us or like if people can be and understandably because people have had terrible experiences it can be like oh mm. but I think being just trying to be every, we look at the end of the day we all piss and shit right like and <laughs> we've all had our hands deep in the muck so it is it is what it is and so I think for us 
taking all the life experiences, inclusive of the both metaphysical, metaphorical and physical piece and shit that we've been exposed to in our lives, heavy, he- heavy lifting <laughs> stuff we've encountered. But like when you look at all of that, it's just like we, everybody in this world, no matter what your background is, everyone's got something going on for them, either currently or they have had or intergenerationally. So trying to distill all of that and present it in a in say in a yoga class just trying to just be like at the end of the day just accepting accepting what is and who who is there with you and 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 also yourself which often for I know for us can be really hard like that inner dialogue and and logging your heads with yourself yeah I think that that for me like I can't talk for Ian but that would yeah probably be not one word, but like a, yeah. a, a mush. <laughs> yeah, God, it's a it's a great question. It's a hard one. I sound like a politician. That was a great question. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to answer it, but um, yeah, like, and people will laugh that know me, but being cynical and jaded sometimes. But you know, if you with yoga, I think it's like, yeah, just put something positive out there. Try to try to put some positive energy out into the universe, and it'll it'll pay you back. There we go. We're going esoteric now, but yeah, just as much as you can. Put something positive out into the universe, physical, mental, both of them combined, and enjoy it because we ain't here for a long time. So it might as well be a good time. So that's what I'd sort of say. And how nice, because Laura's so open-minded, so she'll receive it. Yeah. Oh, exactly. the energy you're putting out. And we just we bounce yeah. that energy, man, back and yeah. forth. <laughs> it gets brighter. Yeah. It gets stronger. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, thank guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. such a great... Yeah, really interesting. And, like, thank you for all of the hard and important and powerful things that you do in mm. the world. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank I you for having you do us. Is phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Ian and Laura. I know I certainly did. If you want to know more about the work they're doing, look for Move Like You Yoga on either Facebook or Instagram. We'll also include the link in our show notes on our website, podcast.flowartist.com. You can also leave a comment there if you like. We would absolutely love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at Ran Loves Yoga and Joe at Garden of Yoga. Our theme song is Baby Robots by Go Soul and is used with permission. Check out gosoul.bandcamp.com. Thank you so, so much for listening. We really appreciate you spending your precious time with us. He aroha nui maua kia koutou katoa. Big, big love.